I'm Rich Sainz, and you're listening to the Procurement Conversations Big Conversation. Join me as I talk to procurement leaders and industry specialists about the biggest issues facing our profession. Welcome to part two of our big conversation on procurement's gender problem. We're joined by Marianne Seacart, the author of The Authority Gap, why women are still taken less seriously than men and what we can do about it. And we've also got the fantastic Sharon Morris, who joined us in part one. Welcome to you both. Hi. Marianne, for those listening, tell us what The Authority Gap is all about. The authority gap is a measure of how much less seriously we still take women than men. We're still more reluctant to accord authority to a woman than to a man. And so we assume a man knows what he's talking about until he proves otherwise, whereas for a woman, it's all too often the other way around. Uh, Women are twice as likely as men to say they have to provide evidence of their competence and that people are surprised at their abilities. And women of colour are nearly twice as likely as white women to say these things. And research also shows that men have six times more influence in group discussions than women do, because they're more likely to assume that a man is expert in what he's talking about, even if he's not. So these are all symptoms of the authority gap. And what it leads to is all sorts of behavior which really holds women back, such as being underestimated, undermined, patronized, interrupted or talked over, having their expertise challenged and having their authority resisted if they are in a position of authority. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic book, uh, but there are elements in it that made me very cross, and uh, I'm a man. So how, how did you find writing it? Was it infuriating or cathartic? Uh, it was both. It was elements of both. It was infuriating. It was, in some respects, incredibly depressing, particularly when I wrote a chapter about the backlash against women in authority mm. uh, and you know the terrible online threats, online yeah. and offline threats they get if they dare to speak out. That was particularly depressing. But I do end up with a chapter which has 140 solutions. I counted mm. the other day, <laughs> <laughs> ways to narrow the authority gap. So it does end at least on a heartening note. Brilliant. And and since it was published in 2021, do you see things getting better or worse? Well, at least I see people talking about it and I th- mm. I'm being aware of it. And, you know, the most important thing is to raise awareness. I think, you know, a lot of the time men just don't realise that they are, say, interrupting women more than they interrupt men or that they're just taking up disproportionate conversational time and space in a meeting. Once they start to become aware of it, then if they want to, at least, they can change their behavior. But if they're not even aware of it in the first place, then nothing's going to change. But I still see the authority gap playing out in all sorts of public spheres. I mean, we had the COVID inquiry in the UK recently and our uh, most senior woman in the civil service, the deputy cabinet secretary, saying that women, even if they were in the room, just weren't being listened to. Mm. And as a result of that, women's lives are actually being lost. You know, there can be really serious consequences to this. Yeah, I saw that. They said that, you know, the focus was, you know, what about the football and what about the racing and what about this? And there wasn't any or enough consideration given to things like schools and, uh, you know, other sectors. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah and domestic violence. Mm. But I'm really interested in in the fact that you mentioned, you know, of course, women of colour are even further discriminated against. And I think this is probably our greatest challenge, particularly here in our region, um, in the APAC region, and, you know, how how we combat that challenge. Not only have we got women, um, you know, finding it hard to get a voice, but women of colour as well, and curious to explore that a little further as well. Yeah, and basically the further women are from the white male middle class default, the wider the authority gap becomes. So if you're a woman of colour, if you're a working class woman, if you're a woman with disabilities, 
you're going to be taken even less seriously. That's the trouble. You've just got much more to fight against. And also with race, you have racial stereotypes overlaid onto gender stereotypes, and that often makes life more difficult. So suppose you are a black woman and a man interrupts you at a meeting and you say, oh, hang on a minute, I hadn't finished there. Suddenly you become the angry black woman. (laughs) Whereas Mm. if a white woman did that, perhaps she wouldn't be seen as angry. Mm. And then you also get the problem that suppose you are a brilliant woman of colour who gets promoted entirely on merit to a senior position People are going to say, oh, it was just she was just a diversity hire. And it's very hard to counteract that. That happens to women in general. You know, quite often we get jobs and people say, oh, she only got it because she was a woman. But if you're a woman of colour, that happens even more so. And so in terms of the procurement context, so in the UK, the figures are 25% of women in the senior leadership positions. And at that level, there is a 25% pay gap. And we were talking earlier in Australia, the pay gap is actually 41% or $63,000 per annum, which is is quite staggering. We're seeing the elevation of procurement into a more strategic discipline. So going from this sort of tactical function where sort of banging on the table and and shouting at people's, uh, I guess, the, the, the way that we operate to a more collaborative role than it, than it was previously. Uh, from your research, would you say that that's something that's more suited to women? Well, I think that should help. I mean, we are socialised to be less aggressive and actually less assertive and less confident than boys and men are. And if we do behave as confidently and as assertively as men, quite often we're penalised for it. So it's no use just saying, oh, well, women aren't tough enough. If any women women were tougher, they would be fine. No, we don't like tough women is the problem. We're quite happy to see men acting tough. When women act tough, suddenly she's strident, she's aggressive, she's domineering, she's overbearing, she's bossy, she's unlikable. And this creates a real double bind for women because either we're not confident enough and therefore we're disrespected or we are confident enough and then we're disliked. And you might say, oh, well, we should just grow a thicker skin and who cares if you're disliked. The trouble is all the research shows that likability is a much more important factor for women than it is for men when it comes to being hired or promoted, particularly if it's men doing the hiring or the promoting. So it's really hard for us to get it right. It is. I guess we, we've seen in procurement often the, the person hiring, especially at the senior leadership position, maybe a, a CFO and CFOs, there are quite a lot of men still in, in that position and maybe they have a this sort of stereotypical view of what a procurement leader should be uh, in their heads when they're doing that based over the history last 10, 20, 30 years of what we've seen there. Yes. And, and one study showed that 70% of men will rate a man more highly than a woman for achieving exactly the same goals. And that rises to 75% for men in senior positions. So even if we're as good as our male rival, we're less likely to be hired or promoted if it's a man doing it. We touched a little in part um, one of this episode around the qualities that women can bring to procurement and supply, particularly around the skills around negotiating, influencing, stakeholder relationship management. And I think as the profession becomes more mature um, and focuses more on those business skills, I'm not going to call them soft skills, I think, you know, we will see um, the attraction and the retention of women into the profession because of these these skills. So I'm hoping that we're starting to see a shift in the profession um, along these lines and get more women. It's a great way of getting more women into the profession right now. So I have a few questions from Jeanette Hoobsch, who asked, how can women in procurement overcome gender bias and stereotypes to advance into leadership roles? And I guess, yeah, throw that open to both of you. 
Gosh, well, you've got to the the people who are doing the advancing, the advancement, you know, the managers who are doing it have got to want to have more women in their teams and have got to be prepared to recognize the talents that women bring. And if most of those people are men, then, you know, I would say, please be allies to the cause, not for necessarily any sense of justice or fairness, but because your business will perform better if you do. Because if you are hiring disproportionately from only half the talent pool, then you are not maximizing the talents of your team. (laughs) And women are as talented as men. And therefore, if you're disproportionately hiring men, you're narrowing your chances of getting the best people for your team. I 100% agree with you. And I think, um, you know, males champions of change have a massive place to play in this. And I think it is about um, supporting and promoting women and tapping them on the shoulder to say, have a go at various aspects of their role and, and taking on new challenges. I think it's fundamental that men have to almost do the training around um, women in leadership to see the barriers that women are currently facing. So I think it's a, you know, it's it, it's absolutely imperative that the the men in organisations get involved to see what it is like from the perspective of a woman and see what it's like from the perspective of a woman with a uh, with, of colour, but also to see uh, all sorts of diversity neurodiverse, um, disabilities, whatever, I think it's important that we put our step into their shoes and see it from their perspective and how we can play a role in supporting and mentoring them to these leadership roles. So it's not all on women to be able to, you know, push themselves up the ladder. Uh, It takes a village, it really does. (laughs) Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I use the analogy in my book. I say it's as if men are swimming in a river with quite a strong current And of course, they can't feel the current, but they see the banks racing past them. They think, wow, I'm a really strong swimmer. And then they see women swimming in the opposite direction against the current and struggling to make headway. And they ask themselves, "Hmm, why aren't they swimming as fast as me? Well, they're clearly not as good. The thing is, they can't feel the current and we can. And so it's absolutely incumbent on men to listen to our experiences and to look at the evidence, you know, in my book, I have produced reams of research evidence proving the case that there is a very strong current that works against us. And, and I just think it's really important for men to sit down, listen to this, do their research and, and, and stop denying there's a problem or that the problem is lies with women and that it's women we need to fix and women need to go on assertiveness training courses or whatever. It's not women we need to fix. It's the way that we all perceive and react to and interact with women that we need to fix. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I, I always thought I was fairly enlightened in terms of this. I've got two daughters and as they're growing up, you sort of see the way that people treat boys and girls differently and the clothes that they're they're sold and the toys that they're sold and all that sort of stuff and actually always always been quite careful to make sure that they've got a sort of a more well-rounded uh, experience but even even then reading the book it really opened my eyes and I was, thanks to uh, lauren richards who put me onto the book uh, so yeah appreciate that and everything that i read in there was equally infuriating enlightening uh and, and yeah as you say there is there is hope there's some practical examples of of what to do so it's a yeah brilliant book thank you I've got another question. So what strategies can organisations implement to ensure equal access to career development opportunities for women in procurement? I think it goes back to, again, organisations being the enabler. Um, I think providing opportunities, the research that I've looked into, particularly around the research that procurists have done and SIPs have done, have said that women, the first thing they want foremost is um, for organisations to address the gender pay gap. 
you know, first up, address the gender pay gap, pay people fairly. And the second and third things around um, mentoring and networking, so providing opportunities where women can um, see other people in action and get that support from other people within either within their organisation or with across the profession or whatever that looks like. And I think that's that's really key to organisations. Um, and I also think it is about providing leadership opportunities. So um, providing women, uh, providing anyone really in the organisation with the opportunity to know that they can grow and thrive within the organisation. And organisations must do this because we're all screaming, particularly in the profession, around um, retaining our talent and attracting our talent. And professional development is a huge part of that. So uh, that is absolutely key. And I think, you know, we've all gone through COVID. Um, flexible working hours is another really key element. We've got to look at, you know, the working hours. Is it essential that people be in the office? Is it essential that they be between nine and five? How can we work so that we're actually supporting women to be able to address what they need to address in their personal lives or their style of working? So I think they're all kind of key elements that organisations need to look at. And I think in all organisations, it's important to give challenging tasks to women as well as to men. And so often men are judged on their potential and women are judged only on their past achievement. We need to look at women's potential as well as men's potential. Uh, so Seema Anthony asked uh, why women aren't listened to when they have the real potential to add value to their organisations. Well, a lot of men just value what other men say more highly than what women say. And they don't always realise they're doing this. But, you know, notice if you're chairing a meeting whether the men are listening as attentively to their female colleagues as to their male ones. Notice if they start surreptitiously checking their emails on their phones when a woman starts speaking, or if they interrupt or talk over her more than they do to men. These are very, very common patterns of behavior. And I think until men have it pointed out to them, they often don't even realize they're doing it. But it does have a really serious effect on women at work if you know they make a contribution at a meeting and no one takes a blind bit of notice until a man repeats it and suddenly it's treated like the second coming you know it's, it's very frustrating for them and also it's very undermining of their confidence um and they think oh gosh you know maybe I wasn't articulate enough or I wasn't confident enough no you were just too female you said it in a female voice and therefore it wasn't taken as seriously I also think to add to that I think as leaders we have to stop and look around the room and make sure that we're enabling all the voices. And that might be asking someone a question, you know, do you have any thoughts on this? They may not, but just being able to provide the space where everybody turns and listens to that individual is really important. And the other thing I would say is um, turning up at moments that matter. I think because we are living in a remote environment and it is does make life easier sometimes to be at home, Sometimes you do need to be in the office and sometimes you need to come in when the board meeting's on or when there's particular individuals that you know are going to be in the office and so that you can have an impact and have those uh, water cooler conversations. So I think there's there's times when flexibility is great, but there is also times when you need to make a personal choice to come and be seen and being heard as well when remote and being on Zoom or Teams is not going to cut it. The other important thing is to affirm what women say at meetings. What the research shows is that men will often affirm what other men say, but are much less likely to affirm what women say. 
And actually, women aren't that great at affirming what women say either. And so the dynamic of the meeting means that, you know, a man will say something and other men will say, yes, that's a great idea. A woman will say something and no one else will back it up. And therefore, her voice has less weight. And so I think both men and women need to actively affirm what women say at meetings, as long as it's interesting. So actually, the next question was, how can women help? women and how can men help women to succeed i think that's probably part of it i don't is there anything else that you'd add to that that's part of it but i i think so when men choose who to mentor or who to sponsor quite often they will choose a younger version of themselves you know a young man who reminds themselves of what they were like at the beginning of their career it's what's called affinity bias i think if men actively chose a woman to mentor or sponsor ideally even a woman of color because they get even less mentorship and sponsorship that would help a lot if you're a senior man having a reverse mentor a woman who is more junior than you who comes along to meetings and listens to how you to, to what you say and watches how you act and then gives you sensitive feedback afterwards can also be very helpful mm-hmm. And she might say, I don't know if you noticed, but there was a woman in that meeting who was trying to get a point across and no one was taking any notice of her. And it might have been helpful if you had acknowledged that, you know, that sort of thing can be very helpful. Uh, so quite often we think as a woman, oh, we need a, a female mentor who can help us navigate how to get through this organization as a woman. Now, that may be helpful, but sometimes it's better to have a male one who can say to his male colleagues, oh, actually, Sharon's really good. And I think we should be bringing her on. Uh, I, I think if you are chairing a meeting, uh, you know, a man or a woman chairing a meeting, you need to be very alert to all these instances of authority gap behavior that I've talked about and call them out and say, no, if, if, you know, if Sharon is being interrupted, say, hang on a minute, I was really interested in what Sharon was saying there. Or if Sharon has made a point that no one notices until a man repeats it, you can say, oh, I'm so glad you agree with what Sharon said earlier. You know, there are ways of calling these sorts of behaviors out. Uh, sometimes with a bit of humour, that, you know, will make people stop in their tracks and maybe not do it again. I mean, do you think generally people are bad at chairing meetings and they just go with whoever shouts the loudest and they don't actually take the time to to listen to all the voices? Yes, I think too many people do that. And I think that men who take up disproportionate conversational time at meetings are often not called out for it. And because I think chairs either don't notice or aren't brave enough to say, look, I think we've had enough from you. We haven't heard nearly enough from Sharon yet. <laughs> and that's that sort of beha- that sort of chairing would be very helpful and effective. How can we avoid going backwards? I know in the book you talk about how, you know, we can't take any of this for granted. Things can go backwards as well. How, how do we avoid that? We have to be very, very aware of what our position is now and keep track of it. So just count, I would say, keep data on how many women are in every position in the organization, disaggregate it by by race uh, and by age, uh, so that you can actually see, oh, look, it looks like women of color are, are doing much worse than white women, and white women are doing much worse than white men, and keep tabs on it the whole time, because it's very easy to think that you're doing fine, and then to find that you're actually slipping back. Because we're used to having so many fewer women than men, it seems like the default if you've only got 25, 30% of women in leadership positions. So it's very important, I think, to count. And I'd agree with that in terms of measuring the data. And there's a few things that are going to change in Australia next year around um, measuring what organisations or organisations with over 100 employees uh, they have to report on their gender pay gap. And I think they're really important. We're going to get some great data out of that. 
Um, is this is just a question for Marianne? Is it, how much data have we got out there? It seems like we've not got enough in terms of this space. So it kind of speaks to your argument about you know measuring and and getting more information. Yes, um, and we, we we have some data. We got a lot on the gender pay gap here in the UK because we it is already. A statutory that you have to report it and and the research shows that once you make it statutory it does get smaller <laughs> because you know what what you don't measure you're not going to do anything about right um but i mean there there are things there are apps for instance that will um measure how much men and how much women have spoken during the course of a meeting how much conversational time they've taken up you can do that on your phone and if you see that men are just dominating the conversational time you can say you know, we're not very happy with this. We'd like to equalize it. You know, but perhaps so and so and so and so could talk less at the next meeting. Let's 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 get more um, contribution from the female members. You know, but you, as I say, you have to measure it first. I mentioned earlier, I've got two daughters, twelve and fourteen. Overall, do you think should we be hopeful? Yeah, I th- I think broadly we should be hopeful. People are now starting to talk about this. They're starting to call it out. They're starting to do something about it. I do worry slightly though about the backlash. Uh, amongst teenage boys and young men to gender equality. And there's some very nasty stuff on the internet going around um, trying to make them feel that it's, you know, straight white men who are being oppressed these days. And and they use horrible terms like feminazis to describe women who dare to speak up and say, can we please have equality? Uh, so there is that darkness going on in the background, I fear. I think when I think about procurement and supply, um, I'm hopeful there in, in the aspect that, you know, the skills and the type of qualities that we're requiring in the profession um, can really be filled by women and particularly as we start thinking about the lens of sustainability over procurement and supply, I think there's some huge opportunities for women to really um, step up and take on leadership roles in the profession. So, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful from the aspect of the profession that, um, we will embrace equality and we will make sure that we're enabling women to lead in this space to be able to really get some drive some change just within the profession that can hopefully be amplified across other professions. So Marianne, where can we get the book and uh, where can we find you? Uh, well, all good booksellers. And if you go to theauthoritygap.com, you can get a lot of information about the book as well and order it from there. Thanks for joining. It's been a fascinating conversation. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Do like and share and subscribe to hear the next procurement conversation.